Welcome back to The Hash, the world's medical-grade cannabis podcast, sponsored by Leafly.com. You can use Leafly Pickup to order cannabis for dispensary pickup in select cities straight from your computer. I'm David Downs, California Bureau Chief at Leafly. A record 10 U.S. states have legalized adult use of cannabis. But that does not mean voters in those states live with easy access to herb. About 50% of cities and counties in legal states ban cannabis stores. But why? Over the past few weeks, I dove into this issue with my boss, Bruce Barcott, deputy editor at Leafly, as well as a research team. Last week, we released our findings in a white paper called Debunking Dispensary Myths. In this episode, we're going to give you a summary of what we learned, as well as the behind-the-scenes look at how this whole thing came together. Listen along as my co-host Max and I dig into what's actually going on in the neighborhoods across the country that sell legal cannabis, and which common assumptions are just straight-up wrong. All right, man, let's jump straight into this thing. Yeah. What made you guys want to dive into this project? Yeah, so I've been on the cannabis journalism beat for like nine years, and I've been covering local politics for 15 plus years. I don't want that to age me or date me, but I've seen city government from small to big for a long time. As a journalist, I just realized this is an area where I can contribute to my city, state, and country making better decisions because um, over the nine years, I saw more and more work come out that spoke to this issue. But when you go into these um, civic debates in city halls and county boards of supervisors, you hear the same tired concerns. And it's a pretty fact-free conversation a lot of times. And that is disturbing as a taxpayer and a citizen because I want my elected officials making the best decisions for my neighborhood based on the best available evidence. Legalization is going to keep spreading and local control is going to be the predominant dynamic and every city and county is going to be like should we do this or not well what does everybody else say it sounds like just because a state has legalized cannabis that doesn't necessarily mean that you can get it where you live that kind of sucks that's right the shape of legalization for cannabis is very much like alcohol it's county by county and city by city and that's not a framework that most people just automatically assume And we're spending a lot of time telling people that voters aren't getting the legalization they voted for. And it's because of these local bans on stores. In our research, we looked at Colorado, which has about 50% of cities and counties banning. California is the worst right now. We've had legalization since 2016. And 75% of cities and counties do not have a retail store. It's so bad that there's a new bill in the assembly that would mandate stores in cities and counties where the voters approved legalization by more than a 50% margin. The cities and counties are pushing back. They're suing to prevent statewide delivery legalization or allowing statewide delivery under existing regulations. And um, I don't think people know that it's in their hands to determine what happens in their local community and they get to play a role. I hadn't heard about that potential mandate. How do you feel about that? When you look at these local ordinances, it's gotten to the point where you can cut and paste them into a new city or copy and paste them. You're not dealing with legal innovation like you were in San Francisco and Oakland in 2004. So what's the holdup here? It's political will and it's some of these lingering stigmas. In other words, the spark notes are solid. They are solid. And, you know, this is a great reminder that all politics is local. I think a lot of people are feeling very frustrated and hopeless and 
disempowered about the whole state of things. But they have an enormous uh, role to play at the local level, and it does percolate up. And that's how real change really sticks. Okay, so I imagine a question that a lot of people have is, why do all of these counties want to ban cannabis sales? In the big picture, I think it's human nature to make errors of correlation versus causation. And um, that in itself has engendered reefer madness over the ages. And in the 30s, you know, that reefer madness um, included overt and innate racism and paternalism. And, you know, it persisted in the late 90s and early 2000s when medical marijuana was starting to take off. States and city governments actively fought dispensaries instead of like zoning them and giving them security rules. And we think that led to their association with bad parts of town and then the security issues that you're going to have if you have a lot of like liquid assets laying around, um, namely robberies or, or other incidents like that. What does the research that you uncovered say about those crime statistics? Right. So we found 42 independent studies that analyze cannabis's retail impact on crime, teen use, and property values. And the vast majority of the best studies show that crime is going down around dispensaries. In fact, if you close a dispensary, it made crime go up. So we have plenty of studies showing opening stores makes crime go down because you got cameras and security guards and uh, much more eyes on the street. And we also have studies showing that um, if you close those stores, if you return it to a vacant lot or a vacant building, um, shocker, more people will go there and engage in more nefarious stuff. Dispensaries are associated with 75% less violent crime than liquor stores. If we have more cannabis access in society, is that making more people substitute cannabis for alcohol? Is that making them get in less fights and drive less drunk? We're starting to see signals in the data that say that. I'm wondering to what degree other factors may be at play that are resulting in this data? As best we can say is there's an association between stores and lower crime. We can't say stores are causing lower crime. There might be a third factor in the neighborhood that is leading to an overall crime decrease and that, you know, crime dropping and dispensaries opening are just a part of it. Um, certainly in neighborhoods that have dispensaries, they tend to be more dynamic places. They tend to be rich places with a lot of technology and finance, changing places. Um, you think of Boulder right now where Google's moving in. Boulder's getting more dispensaries. Google's moving in. Crime's going down. Is that dispensaries or is that a changing demographic in Boulder? Um, you know, these studies try to control for external factors like that, but it's impossible to control for them all, right? Every city and county and every legalization state has had a slightly different policy about medical or recreational use and the rules. And then those policies have changed over time. There's been waves of bans and then court decisions. Um, all of this is um, like a moving river. And so it's hard to generalize too much from our data and our associations to the next town in the next place in the next environment where this is going on. A thing that you hear a lot when people talk about the reasons that they don't want to have cannabis in their municipality, in their city, in their county, is that they're afraid it's going to lead to more teens uh, consuming cannabis. What does the research that you dug up say about that? We have really strong data showing that teens are smoking less 
cannabis across the board in America. Teens in general are using less of all substances. Um, the director of the National Institutes on Drug Abuse, Nora Volko, is fond of saying now that like kids are more addicted to social media and video games than they are to like actual addictive substances. So a lot of people assume a dispensary is going to add cannabis to a community, when in reality, cannabis has been in most American communities since the 70s. Um, it's not falling out of an airplane in the sky on the day you legalize. But what does happen is retailers are taxed and regulated and they card people and they do it at a higher rate than um, liquor store owners do and certainly at a much higher rate than illicit cannabis sellers do. Legalizers have said, this, this stuff is already in our communities. We want to channel it. We want to regulate it. We want to put it in its proper place and not have it in our schoolyards and other places. They set about to do these regulations, which include childproofing and carrying limits and public education, tens of millions of dollars on public messaging and health messaging to youth with the explicit goal of attacking teen use the way we attacked tobacco use. And we've been very successful at tackling tobacco use. Teens are using tobacco at a rate less than cannabis now. And um, we're, that's a, one of the biggest public health wins of the century. The other thing that comes up a lot is that people are worried that when you open a dispensary in a neighborhood, in an area, property values are going to go down. What have you learned about that? So this is crazy. We don't have a lot of studies, but the ones we have are really good. So we know that houses close to stores gain 7% about over their neighbors further away beyond uh, an eighth of a mile. And we know that towns that allow stores gain 8% in home value relative to their neighbors who ban it. We think that this has to do with what's called the hedonic effect. And that's where people want to live close to cool stuff like coffee shops and laundromats and other social services or stuff that makes the neighborhood walk walkable. Did you just say that laundromats are fun places? They are certainly an amenity for a lot of people. Bottom line is what's showing up in these property values, and we found six studies published in journals that are really good, um, is that they're going up and they're not going down. And again, we can't say causation here. What's probably happening is these are dynamic cities where home values are rising in general. They're engaging in legal innovation, technological innovation, financial innovation um, versus what the stereotypical rural conservative county is doing, which is saying, no, we want things to stay the same. We like our small town feel. We like everything the way it is. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you. Next, next. Thank you. It just sounds like you guys must have gone through so much data and so much research to put this thing together. So we are very honored and excited to have a Humboldt State University co-director of the Humboldt Institute for Interdisciplinary Marijuana Research. This guy named Dr. Dominic Corva of the Humboldt State University, Himmer, uh, was our advisor. And so that was a really great asset to have. And then we had a San Francisco State journalism student, Amelia Williams, do our first pass of the literature review. And then she also was in charge of citations and uh, making sure those were all buttoned up. And everything we located, you know, we would read and then we would read its references and follow those citations to more papers. And you do this for several weeks and you start to see the like galaxy of research begin to emerge on a particular topic. We want to update this in a year and continue to be a resource for people who want the data 
on what these effects will be from these local policy decisions. Are you doing anything else with it? Are you, for instance, mailing it to elected officials? Uh, are you sending it as Christmas presents to your relatives? <laughs> you know, we want debunking dispensary myths to be cited in the Illinois legislature and in the Sonoma County Board of Supervisors meeting and in Congress by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. We think it's that significant. And certainly the papers we point to are as significant. And so if they don't cite Leafly, they can at least use what we've done as a cheat sheet to um, cite the studies that you know we've collected. And we're going to keep doing stories about implementation. Um, there's a lot of papers that we uncovered that weren't directly part of this review that are powerful in them themselves. Stories about workplace injuries going down because of medical marijuana or crime clearance rates going up because police have more resources to actually deal with that instead of marijuana, which was the number one type of drug arrest. And drug arrests are the number one type of arrests police make in America. Was there anything that surprised you and Bruce when you guys were going through all this data? We were surprised by the depth of the findings. I knew from reporting on the beat that some studies were out there. I didn't know we'd find so many new and good ones. I was also surprised, frankly, that the cannabis industry hadn't done this type of review first. I think all of us know that the meatpacking industry or the dairy industry certainly spend some time collecting data to support their policy positions. It was weird that the cannabis industry is still so new that they haven't picked up the jewels that were just laying around for them. And so that was the most surprising thing. Last question for you before uh, we get off this call and go back to our heartbroken lives where we're not hanging out all the time. What should cannabis consumers do now that they have this data if they want to be enacting change, either where they live or somewhere else where cannabis sales remain banned? Voters need to know that it's their government, especially locally. You can get involved to permit a local store, and it can be a gateway issue to further civic engagement. They can look up who their local elected officials are. They can email them a copy of their report and a short, respectful note saying, I would like respectfully to have cannabis licensees who do retail here in my town, as well as other cannabis business. I think it can be a taxpaying, uh, safe contribution to my neighborhood. There's tons more info in the paper. Go check it out at leafly.com news. For The Hash, I'm David Downs. 